0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ and His power and love even now as you listen. Let's pray together. Mm. And so, Father, we we run to You. We thank You that because of the work of, of Christ that... Uh, you have adopted us as your own sons and daughters and that we can we can run to you that we can call you father that we we find welcoming arms in you and lord we know that's not something that that we uh, deserve As we don't even deserve to even be in your presence let alone to have you as a father But we thank you that because of the gospel, because of the work of Christ, that we can be welcomed and that we have been adopted as your very own beloved sons and daughters. And so, Lord, now as we come before your word and open up your word this morning, we pray that you would uh, be like a surgeon, that you would do deep healing work in our hearts This morning, it's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. We'll open your Bibles to the book of Malachi this morning. If you are new today, we have been walking through this Old Testament prophecy, and so we have come to the end of chapter 2 of Malachi, and so we're going to start at the last verse of chapter 2, which is verse 17, and go through chapter 3 and verse 6. And it's about the coming of our Lord, our coming King. Malachi chapter 2 is where we'll begin, and we'll begin in verse 17. Let's just kind of stand in honor of the, the Lord and His Word as we look at it together this morning. Our coming King. Beginning with Malachi chapter 2 and verse 17, the Bible says, You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you ask, How have we wearied him? When you say, Everyone who does what is evil is good in the Lord's sight, and he's delighted with them, or else, Where is the God of justice? See, I am going to send my messenger. And he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who will be able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and like launderer's bleach. He will be like a refiner. And purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. The offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in days of old and years gone by. I will come to you in judgment. And I will be ready to witness against sorcerers and adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker, the widow, and the fatherless, and against those who deny justice to the resident alien. They do not fear me, says the Lord of armies, because I, the Lord, have not changed. You descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. You can be seated. Well, most all of us are familiar with the experience of having bad dreams <laughs> or nightmares that we would uh, just as soon for- forget, but have you ever had the experience of having a beautiful dream, a, a dream where like something great happened in the dream, and it was glorious, and you wish it could go on and on. And then you wake up, and you know you dreamed about something good, but you can't really put your finger on what you dreamed about. Like, this is really good, and I can't, I can't really remember the details or even piece together exactly what it was that I dreamed. Theologian N.T. Wright says that our, our dreams about justice, are, are sort of like that. In his book, Simply Christian, N.T. Wright says, we dream the dream of justice. We glimpse for a moment a world where things work out, where societies function fairly and efficiently, where we not only know what we ought to do, but actually do it. And then we wake up and come back to reality. But what are we hearing when we dream that dream. What are we hearing when we dream that dream? Well, there's a reason why we dream that dream. There's a reason why we yearn for a world without injustice, without sin and suffering and death. And the reason that we dream about a world like that is because our God created a world like that. He created a world that was perfectly just with no sin, suffering, or death. And the good news is that Jesus is coming again to create a world like that. There's gonna be a new heaven and earth. When Jesus comes, every tear is going to be wiped away. Everything sad is going to come untrue on that day, as Tolkien said. And the, the knowledge... That Jesus is coming should not only fill us with hope for the future, but it also should provoke self examination and self reflection in the present. And we see all of that as we look at this text today. So the first thing that we need to be aware of is that we need to be aware of, of blindness. And if you want to take notes, you can do that on the back of your bulletin. I've also included a couple of quotes here. I'm trying to do this each week. If I use quotes that I think would be really good for you to take home and have in your hands, uh, I'll, I'll put them on the, on the back and you have a couple of them it today. But the first thing that we see here is to beware of blindness. And obviously, we're talking here about about spiritual blindness. So let's check out chapter 2 and verse 17. Malachi says, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? Now, obviously, God does not grow weary the way that we grow weary in the sense that he gets tired like we do or, you know, physically or, or emotionally or, or whatever. God doesn't get weary in, in that way. But the word here means that, 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 that patience is coming to an end, which is a sobering thing to, to contemplate. Old Testament Scholar Ray and says this about the term "wearied." Here, says the term "wearied" then vividly conveys God's patient and gracious endurance of their rebellious and insulting attitude toward Him, and that the time for His patience is almost over. Wow. Well, you would think that the knowledge of that would like cause them to humble themselves in repentance. But that wasn't happening. Instead of humbling themselves in repentance, they are accusing God of injustice. Look again at verse seventeen. Um, here's what the people were saying. You know, in Malachi, you've got these dialogues where, where God is sort of God is bringing out the attitudes and the thoughts and the words of His people, and this is what they were saying and and thinking. They were saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Where is the God of justice? In other words, the people were saying, hey, God, take a look around. The bad guys are winning. You know, they're prospering. Life is hunky-dory for them. And look at us, you're you're faithful, righteous people. And we're going through difficult times. Where are you, God of justice? Well, in in doing and saying that, not, not only were they being arrogant, but they were being blind. They were blind, not only to all the things that they had to be thankful for, they were being blind to their own sins. Um, Old Testament scholar Ian, Ian Duguid says, our very grumbling about the absence of God's justice condemns us. When we say, where is the God of justice and accuse God of treating the wicked better than he treats us, we are not neutral defenders of truth and righteousness. How arrogant and hypocritical we are with our own mountains of sin to seek to advise the judge of all the earth as to what he should do about the problem of evil. The great commandment says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others as yourself. We have failed miserably at both. Not one of us has loved God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength for a single second. Not one of us has treated other people the way that we would desire to be treated. We have all failed miserably. We're all guilty. But we're so good at spotting the sins of others. Like we, when it comes to spotting the sins of our spouse, you know, or our kids, or our parents, or the people that we work with, or the people that we go to school with, or sometimes even the people that we go to church with, let me tell you, when it comes to spotting the sins of other people, we have like 20-20 vision. But when it comes to, to discerning our own sins, we're, we're, we're just like so clueless and and blind. Beware of blindness. Second, we see something here about the coming Lord. Let's look at the beginning of chapter 3. Chapter 3 and verse 1. God says, See, I am going to send my messenger. And he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. So who is this messenger that's being talked about? It says at the beginning of verse 1: God says, See, I'm going to send my messenger. So We talked about at the beginning of our study of Malachi that the word, the name Malachi actually means messenger in Hebrew. But clearly it's not Malachi that's being talked about here. So let's kind of track the language here. He says, God says, see I'm going to send my messenger and he will do what? He will clear the way before me. Now this language sounds a lot like the language that was used of of John the Baptist in, in Matthew 3, in beginning of verse 1, says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near, for he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. So John the Baptist had a mission of clearing the way for the Lord. He was that kind of a messenger. But even Even John is not the ultimate messenger being spoken of here. You see, God sent messengers like Malachi and messengers like John the Baptist to point toward the ultimate messenger. And the ultimate messenger is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate messenger who is coming. So look at verse one again. God says, then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the the messenger, capital M of the covenant. He is coming, says the Lord. Now it's interesting. The language here is interesting because God is the speaker, right? Yahweh is the the speaker here, the 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 Lord, and yet he says he is coming. The Lord the the Lord says the Lord. is coming. What's, what's God talking about? I think John 8, 16 makes it clear. Jesus says there, and if I do judge, my judgment is true, because it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. The Father is going to, is, is going to send the Son. That's what's being prophesied here. And and going back to verse 1, it says that he will come suddenly to his temple. Jesus was first brought to the temple in the arms of his mother as a baby. And later he came to the temple to teach and even at one point to to cleanse the, the temple of the money changers and those who were doing unrighteous things there. But ultimately, the temple is Jesus's own body. And we know that from from John chapter two and verse 19. What does Jesus say there? Jesus says, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Because the body of Jesus is the ultimate temple. Because Jesus is the glory of God dwelling among his people. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth Jesus himself and his body and his flesh is God's glory dwelling among his people and unlike the temple of stones that was going to be destroyed in 70 AD Jesus was raised in glory and is coming again in glory Let's go back to, to verse one again. in a way the, some of these words are dripping with sarcasm, because God here is addressing these people, and he's, he's saying that that they, uh, that they pretended to to seek Him and to delight in him. You see both of those words here in verse one. They, they claim to seek the coming of the Lord. Oh, we delight in the coming of the Lord because we're ready for it. Things are just great between us and God. And so, we're, Lord, we're seeking your coming. We're delighting in your coming. And God knew that in reality, they weren't ready for his coming. They weren't ready for his coming. They didn't know what they were, 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 were wishing for because they weren't ready for it. And how, do, how do you feel when you're driving down the road and you see the flashing lights of a police car coming up from behind you? It depends on how you've been driving, right? I mean, if you've been like driving super conservative and you, you know you've, you know you've not done anything wrong and all your stuff's up to date on your car or whatever, I mean, you know these coming up for somebody else. But if you've been late for an if you're late for an appointment, you know, and you've had a lead foot and you're pressing it down and you've been in a rush, there's like this feeling of dread, right? It's like, "Oh, this is so stupid. Like, now I'm going to get a ticket and like there's just this feeling of of dread." But see, these people <laughs> They, the flashing lights were coming up from behind, and they, they felt like, hey, we're, we're ready for that. We're embracing that. When in reality, they weren't ready for that. They had broken God's law in all kinds of, 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 of ways, but they were blind to it. It's one thing to be a sinner and know that you sin. It's another thing to be blind to your sin. And they needed a wake-up call. And that's what's coming here in verse 2. God says, "But, but, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who will be able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and like launderer's bleach." The refiner's fire here was the, the fire that was used to, 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 to get the impurities out of like gold or silver. And so they would melt it all down and the dross, the impurities would float to the surface. The launderer's bleach here was like an alkaline lye soap that they would use to just get out the, the, the deepest dirt. Well, all of us need to come to terms with the fact that there is dirt, there is deep dirt in our lives and not just externally, but like in our souls. So what hope is there for us? Because the flashing light, the flashing lights of God's law are coming up from behind us and all of us have disobeyed his law. What hope do we have? Our hope is Jesus, who obeyed God's law perfectly. Look at Galatians 4, 4 and 5. Wow, does this make us look forward to what we celebrate at Christmas? When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law... To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus perfectly obeyed God's law. All of his life, he was obedient. And so we are saved because of the active obedience of Christ, and that he perfectly obeyed the law of God all during his life and by the passive obedience of Christ, and that on the cross he willingly laid down his life and took our sins upon himself to atone for them. And so Romans 8:19 says, "By one man's obedience, the many are made righteous." we are put in the right with God because Jesus perfectly obeyed in our place. Praise God. Jesus is our only hope. Do you know him? Do you know the Savior today? Turn to him. Turn to him. Trust him. Hurl yourself on his mercy. Verses 3 and 4. You see, Jesus receives us just as we are, but he doesn't leave us just as we are. He refines us, he forms us. Verses 3 and 4. He will be like a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in days of old and years gone by. The image here in verses 3 and 4 is of God as an artisan, God as a master craftsman who is forming us and shaping us. And, and listen, he knows exactly what he's doing in each one of our lives he, as he conforms and shapes us into what? Into the image of his son. Romans eight twenty nine says, for those who, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he would be the first firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The story is told about a crowd of people standing around and watching an old-fashioned silversmith do his job of refining silver. And so he's putting this this silver into the furnace, and then he would take it out at just the right time. And somebody in the crowd asked, how do you know when to take it out? He said, I know that the silver is pure when I can see my face reflected there. That's the way it is with the Lord. Listen, he knows exactly what we need in that refining process. God knows in each of our lives. And he knows what it takes to conform us to the image of his son. And he uses all kinds of things to do that. He uses scripture, he uses prayer, he uses his people in the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters in in, in Christ. Um, He he knows, he puts people in our lives who can encourage us and who can exhort us and who can teach us and, and even at times rebuke us when we need that. And he also uses our trials. He uses all of our experiences, but but he especially uses trials to to make us more like Christ. Listen, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And he's in control, right? He is a father who loves you and who knows what he's doing in your life. He knows what we need to to make us more like, like Christ. But for those without Christ, when Jesus comes, he will come in judgment. Verse five, I will come to you in judgment and I will be ready to witness against sorcerers and adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker, the widow and the fatherless, and against those who deny justice to the resident alien. They do not fear me, says the Lord of armies. Now, If you're thinking to yourself, wow, I'm glad I'm not guilty of any of those sins. Mm. We better think again. Let's look at them one by one. Talks about sorcerers here. Well, you know, sorcery is, is not limited to just people who are involved in the occult. You know, sorcery is trying to manipulate supernatural power to serve your own ends. You ever done that with God. You ever treated God like an errand boy who just existed to serve you? Have you ever lived like uh, that God's chief end is just to glorify you and serve you? We've all done that. We've all been sorcerers, adulterers. You know, Jesus said that adultery is not limited to the act of adultery. (laughs) Jesus said that anyone who has lusted in their hearts has committed adultery. Those who swear falsely You ever been dishonest? You ever been dishonest in any way? If you say no, you were just dishonest, like you just swore falsely. Against those who oppress the hired worker, the widow, the fatherless, and against those who deny justice to the resident alien. So these, these people are grouped together. Hired worker, widows, orphans, Resident aliens, which re- would refer to like immigrants, refugees. And, and the reason that these people are grouped together is because they were the most vulnerable people. The most vulnerable. Hired workers would be people who just sort of were at the bottom end of, the, of society. People who were just trying to find sort of day labor and they were easily taken advantage of, easily exploited. Widows in a culture where everything was sort of, you know, um, tilted toward men were especially vulnerable. There wasn't like a safety net for them. They couldn't just like go out and get a job or whatever, like it just didn't work like that. So widows were incredibly vulnerable. Orphans, obviously, were incredibly vulnerable. And immigrants, refugees, were incredibly vulnerable, and, 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 and God had told his people over and over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament that they were to treat immigrants and refugees with compassion. Why? For two reasons. First of all, because that's the kind of God that we have, a God of compassion, but also because they themselves had been immigrants and refugees in Egypt and in Canaan and Mesopotamia and other places. So that, was, that was part of their own experience. So he's, God told them, I want you when people, when people come to you as immigrants and refugees, you are to treat them with compassion. And when we come to the New Testament, we need to remember that Jesus' own parents Joseph and Mary fled with him as refugees to Egypt because of the violence of Herod in the vicinity of Bethlehem as he was killing babies. And so they fled with, with baby Jesus as refugees to Egypt. And so you need to remember that the one who bled for you on the cross was at one point a Refugee, a dark skinned Middle Eastern refugee. That's your Lord and Savior. And so, you know, when we hear politicians or people on the talking heads, on the news or whatever, bashing immigrants and refugees, friends, we need to understand that's just not godly. That's not godly. I want you to know something being pro life doesn't just mean being against abortion. Do you know that? Being pro-life, yes, it means being against abortion at the front end of life. It means being against euthanasia at the, at the end of life. But being pro-life, consistently pro-life, means that we are for people who are weak and vulnerable throughout the course of life. We as believers... Are to be consistently pro life. And so, what, what God is saying here is that that means having a heart for the people that are the most vulnerable. The most vulnerable. That's who He's talking about here. And then the last sin is that they, they, don't, they have no fear of God. God says, They do not fear me. You say, Well, I fear God. What are we doing every time we sin? In every sin, in every sin, essentially what we're doing is shaking our puny fist at God and saying, God, I know what you say, and I'm going to do my own thing anyway. How much fear of God are we showing when we sin? Do you see like this is an indictment against all of us? Like, we are, we have all failed miserably to obey the law of God. Like, we are all sinners. If we got what we deserved, every single one of us would get condemnation. There would be just doom. But we don't get that, do we, as believers? Why? Jesus. Jesus. Again, Ian good. It says the only way for the refiner's fire to pass over us and not burn us alive was for it to first pass over Jesus and pour the full force of its heat out on him. So thankful for our Savior. Verse 6 Because I the Lord have not changed. You descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. You know, if you guys got what you deserved, you would have been destroyed by now, but that has not happened. And that has not happened, not because of who you are, but because of who I am in mercy. Again, again, Ian Duguid just points so beautifully to the gospel here. The justice that we could never have handled, God took into himself in our place. Do you see that? Because of Christ, God can be both just and the justifier of sinners like us. And so the justice that we could never have handled, God took into himself in our place what human wisdom could ever have imagined such an awesome plan of salvation? What is left for us now but to put our hand over our mouths in silence, astonished at his mercy, love, and grace? Our complaints about the injustice of our circumstances are stilled as we gaze at the cross. Jesus' perfect life has been imputed to us as if it were our own, enabling us sinners to approach a holy God clothed in his holiness. Now, when the father looks at us, he doesn't see the sorcerers and adulterers that we are by nature. Instead, he sees his own son's perfect devotion and purity clothing us as if it were truly our own. Through Jesus, a safe way has been made for people like us to approach God, the just judge. Because of Christ, we may return to God and find him coming near to us also, not for judgment, but with open and welcoming arms. Praise God for the gospel pray together. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and for your, your grace for sinners like us. Lord, we, we know that that you had not given us what we deserve, but instead you gave your son for us, who came for us, came to redeem, and and who is coming again. And right now, as we just Reflect in the presence of God. Listen, do you know Christ? Do you know this wonderful Savior? Turn to Jesus. Repent. It means turn, turn around. It means stop heading away from Him and turn, turn toward Jesus and trust. Trust in what he has done for you he died for your sins on the cross that he was raised from the dead and place your life in the hands of a savior the one who died for you and rose for you and is, is coming again just hurl yourself on his mercy and grace and and god will receive you based not on your merits but based on the merits of Christ. And so, Father, again, we thank you for the mercy and grace that you have shown each one of us in the gospel. Oh, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that a way has been made for sinners like us, not only to approach you and to be in your presence, but to be adopted, as your very own beloved sons and daughters. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything, minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your Son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer my email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.